0: All right. Can I just say before I start, Coco and I did not liaise or talk about what we were, how we were going to minister this morning. That is incredible where Coco led us because there's so much of my sermon this morning that I want to touch on um, what Coco has has spoken about. And before I start, I want to say that this is an incredibly important part of our society. What we're going to touch on this morning and if you're single and heading toward marriage but don't yet have a partner please don't tune out there is so much in this verse that that we need to understand paul is very clear that this part of ephesians is twofold right it's about it's about the i lost my train of thought paul's very clear this <laughs> this verse that he is talking about is about twofold. It's spiritual and natural. He's talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. He's also talking about natural relationships, marriages of of people. So if you do not have a partner, there is so much in this, and there's so much in in our um, in my sermon that I hope to be able to encourage you this morning. But the other part of it is, if you are one who doesn't burn with passion has never burnt with passion, doesn't intend to burn with passion like Paul speaks about, and doesn't intend to get married. There is so much in this, in the way that he relates Christ and the church. I'm predominantly going to speak about the natural, about marriages. Why? Because at the moment in the world we live in, there is an incredible assault on what we call the nuclear family, the natural family, right? Husband, wife families. There is an assault on this at the moment. I can't tell you at the moment how many people we are walking with with marrow issues. And to me, it's so heartbreaking because this is what God gave us in the beginning. He gave us the ability to stand and hold firm together. He gave us the ability, unity, to stand shoulder by shoulder to fight the battles that we're supposed to fight. And the first thing the enemy takes apart, the first thing he hacks, the moment he gets a a little foothold, he comes after your family. Why? Because it's the stronghold and the gateway to take the place God's asked you to take. So right now, more than ever, we need to understand marriages and families. More than ever. Now, again, if, if you don't have a marriage, you don't have a family, that doesn't mean it's not integral to us to understand. One of the most interesting people to me is a guy named Shane Willard. He's a preacher, and he has a, a doctor's... Oh sorry, I think he has a master's. He has a master's degree in relationships, centering in, in sex. Have we left the kids gone? Ish. Sort of. <laughs> I've already said that's a smile. We're going to get a bit raunchy. Uh, he has a master's degree and he's a single man, never been married. And to me, I find it so interesting that he decided to delve into a world that he's pretty happy and content that he's never going to need to go into. And he realized that there is a beautiful picture between Christ and the church and the marriage of a man and a woman. He understands the power of understanding and knowing how that world takes place. So I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge a little bit here this morning, but I'm I'm, I'm actually want to encourage us, all of us. We have at the moment we have two couples about to engage in this um, covenant. Thank you, Coco. We have two couples. I'm losing words. I'm or I'm thinking about where we're going. I'm still trying to get through my intro. I'm excited. I actually am really excited because hopefully, and like I said, I know I'm preaching to those of us that are here. But there's something God is going to do in the spiritual realm where we get to take a stake in the ground with this. So why don't we just close our eyes and let me just pray. Lord, God, I humbly come to you, not as an expert in this area, Lord, but as a a servant of yours to ask you to guide us. Lead us, Lord. Let us submit to your guidance in this. Help us to see marriage your way. Help us to see relationships your way. Holy Spirit, I ask if there's anything that I say this morning that's not of you, may it fall to the ground. But the things that you want us to know this morning, may they grow and burn in our hearts so that we can take more ground for you. In your beautiful name, Lord, we pray. Amen. I need to do one more preface because it's important. I'm going to speak predominantly this morning about about semi-healthy relationships. I'm not speaking into relationships that are marred by violence or domestic abuse. I know it's, I need to go there because it's, it's helpful for us to understand if you are in that place, if there is something that you are living in that's not healthy, that you are afraid, please talk to somebody. I'm happy to be one of those people, but if it's not me, please reach out to somebody. Go to the websites. There's plenty of people out there that can help. A friend. Reach out to somebody. What Paul is saying in this is he's speaking to couples who are trying to navigate and live their lives for Christ. Sometimes, some of the things that I say, if you are in a domestic violence relationship, if you are in a troubled relationship, these things will, will hurt more than they will help. But you need help out of that. Is that okay? I know it's predominantly not most of us here, although it may be, and if it is, then please talk to somebody. But if it's not, then I just want to make that, that out there. So the teaching I'm going to give this morning is predominantly on normative relationships, relationships that are already somewhat submitted to Christ, already in a, in a realm where we're living a life for Christ. So Paul, Ephesians 5 is where we're taking off for, from. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, 22-33. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, as we've been going through, has been preparing the people to get ready and to live as if Christ was with them, to live in a manner that is worthy and honourable to God. He goes through, he talks about the spiritual realm, he talks about how to navigate, how to live for Christ. And then he comes to this part and he takes hold of something, as you'll notice, he refers to Genesis the mandate that was given to to man and woman, husband and wife, in the very beginning. He uses the understanding of marriage to be a pinpoint in what he's just explained to the church. As you'll find out next week, he then goes on after marriage to explain about putting on your armor and fighting the good fight. But he explains in that, get your marriage right before you go out to war. Get your house in order before you go to take ground. Why? Because if there's hurt or pain at home, and that will come back and it will tear you apart. You're creating at home, you're creating in your, in your household a realm to rest and recover. From what? From the battle you've been at. But you've got to learn how to fight with one another. You've got to learn the mandate that's been given so that it can be a restful place, not another battleground. What happens in your home is that as it says that the man is the, house, the, the head of the household, in my prayers at night, I pray, Lord, I, I own this house my house between Jess and I. And I declare my wife, even my puppy dog, Lord, you've given me this house and it is mine. But now I've relinquished that to you and I give it all to you. This is your home. If I'm taking communion that night, I will say, Lord, with the blood, I wash this house. I protect this house because you've given it to me. I give it back to you. See, God calls us as a unit, my wife and I, to stand firm in him. But Paul is, uh, Paul is saying in this that there's a reason that we do that. There's a reason. It's because it's a picture of Christ and the church. You have to understand there's a thing called a truth intention, right? We are the body of Christ, okay? But we are also the bride of Christ, so, we have to understand that there's a truth intention. I've heard someone say to me, We can't be the bride because we're actually his body and it, dis- it dismembers us. No, it doesn't. It's a truth intention. There's a beauty of being his body, there's also a beauty of being his bride because he fights for us and we learn as a people to submit to him. Does that make sense? So, Paul is highlighting here, he's saying, You people need to understand the complexities of marriage. Whether you're married or not, you need to understand the complexities. Why? Because it shows the reality of the Son and the church and the Father and the church. It shows a picture that I've designed from the very beginning of the beauty in covenant. You have to understand what Jesus did on the cross was he finalized the covenant with Abraham and he opened a new covenant that he allows us into. As man, God cut covenant with God and allowed us in. What you do in a marriage, I don't have time to go into it this morning, but if you go through all the rituals we still do today in marriage, we are opening a covenant with the person, a blood covenant we enter into with the person we are marrying. I am in a covenant relationship with my wife. And as we say in the marriage ceremony, unto death, I enter into that with her. But Paul is saying in this, there's two ways to understand. There's two things. The challenge of this verse, we've all probably heard this verse, right? Argued, re-argued, presented by atheists, presented by uh, people who are saying the Bible is no longer relevant because this is no longer the way we should live. This sermon that I'm going to preach this morning in today's Western culture is going to be terribly challenging. Not necessarily to us who understand what it's saying, but the world is kicking against this type of design. They are pushing against this because there's this this push and this fight to say, well, it was unequal from the beginning. No, it was perfectly equal from the beginning. God designed a partnership. God designed a team, co-equal, to labor together and to walk out the journey he asked us to walk out. But what people do is they read Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and then they stop and they say, there's something wrong with this. And often cases they don't go on and I've had discussions or debates with people and have said, see how terrible that is? Wives have to submit to all things and they go to the horrible things that a husband can do. And you say, yeah, but read the next part. Read the next line because the next line, well, rather a few lines down, Ephesians 5.25, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The wife is given a position to submit to the husband And the husband is given a position to live for the wife unto death. Christ fights on your behalf for your best interest. He wants you to succeed and thrive in your life as the plan he laid out for you. His heart is that you would succeed in all things that he's called you to. That's the heart of Christ. So when a husband is told to love your wife as Christ loved the church, guess what my job is as a husband? to want my wife to succeed in all things she's been called to. So my leadership now as a husband is to lead my wife to be and to operate in the best things that she could ever have or want. It's really easy to look at it like this. If Tim rang me one day and he said, Ben, I just bought a plane and I want to fly to New Zealand. Would you come with me? I'm going to drive down to the runway where his plane is. I'm going to look at the plane and he's going, come on, man, I'm going to fly. Just me and you will go. I start thinking, he doesn't know squat about flying a plane. He gets in, he sits in the pilot seat, he starts looking at all the dials, he's trying to work out how to turn it on. I'm going to respectfully decline his offer to fly with him. Thank you, Tim, but no thank you. You don't know what you're doing. I will not submit to your authority as a pilot. But if I ring up Air New Zealand and say, hey, I need to go to New Zealand. Do you have any pilots? Yeah, we've got a plane going tomorrow. Without a shadow of a doubt, I will get on that plane and I'll sit in that chair. Why? Because I respect the ability for that pilot to fly the plane. I will submit to his authority as a passenger because I know he knows what he's doing. Tim, he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm not getting on with him. But the pilot I'll fly with, right? (laughs) Secretly, Tim turns out to be a pilot captain. And my analogy goes out the window. But the ease to fly with somebody who knows what they're doing far outweighs the ease to fly with a guy who has no idea. So when we look at this verse and we say, wives, submit to your husbands. My question is, what are they submitting to? Man, what are they submitting to? Because we have a job and a role to lead and to guide, to know how to fly that plane. Do we get it right all the time? No, we don't. But the role is to keep stepping towards unity and faith for my family. But it's easy for Jeff to submit to my guidance when my guidance is submitted to Christ. When I say to my wife, babe, I know that this sounds insane, but he told me to do it. And she goes, well, all right, we'll go together. But if I don't have that plumb line, if I don't have that direction, if I don't have that pull, and I ask Jess, submit to me, we're going off the cliff. No wonder she doesn't want to submit to me. No wonder we have mess marriages in messes and in disarray because the husband has made it all about ME and then asked the wife to submit to self-centeredness and selfishness. And the wife goes, no, thank you. I can't do this. Men, in order for our wives to submit, they've got to be submitting to something worthwhile. But wives, you have to trust that your husband is speaking and leading and guiding through Christ. You have to trust that there is a guidance and a leadership coming from from Almighty King. And you have to be okay that when he gets it wrong, the Father forgives him. And in your heart, you've got to work out, if he gets it wrong, I've got to stand with my Father and operate in forgiveness. See, what Paul is saying in this, he's making it so clear, is that you can't have submittance without a death to Christ. And you can't have the death to Christ without the submittance. The family unit works when both parties play their part. I don't have to look at my wife and say, you need to do your job better. I need to look at my own life And say, how do I live a life submitted to Christ so that my wife has something to submit to? So that when she submits at the end of the day, I know with all that I am, the Father wants what's best for her. And I hope, Lord, I'm doing that. So I can actually stand in a place where I go, Jess, I'm leading you, but I'm hopeless without my Father. I'm hopeless without the submittance to Christ. So together we submit to Christ and we we walk this out as a unit that God has drawn. You have to take both. Because in 28, Paul continues, he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does to the church. We have to start seeing our spouses as a part of us, that one flesh, which we're going to speak about in a minute. We have to start seeing the other half. If you need some quiet time and some alone time, guess what your marriage needs? Some quiet time, some alone time. Everything you need as an individual, your marriage needs as a couple. Why? It's one flesh. So I start thinking to myself, man, I'd love to just get an hour on the PlayStation without anybody talking to me and just relax. Right? But then you've got to think the same thing. Man, my marriage just needs two hours away from all the rest of the noise to just relax and recuperate. Everything that we look at, man, I need to go and I need to feed myself. I I want to learn how to trade stocks, so I need to go and educate myself. Your marriage needs to be educated. I need to go and feed myself. I just need a good health kick. I need to run more. I need to get healthy. Your marriage needs the health kick. See, everything we address individually, we have to start understanding it takes place in the one flesh and needs to be added into our marriage. So we stop looking at ourselves from a self-centeredness and we start understanding what it is we've been given from Christ to operate as one unit. The singles are going, awesome Ben, what do I do with that? You do what Paul said, it's how Christ loved the church, you operate in one flesh with Christ, you come into him, you become a part of his body. So what does that mean? If I need some alone time to play the PlayStation, me and the one person I'm with need some alone time, me and Christ need to go and operate as one. Couples, you have to do this as well. See everything we do for ourselves, everything we aim for self-centeredness. We've got to look at one with Christ. So I need to put that in. I need to do some research for myself. I need to research Christ. Right, everything that you do, spouses, we do one to another, then one to Christ, and together to Christ. Singles, you're doing one to Christ, enjoined with Him. If I need alone time with myself, I need alone time with my Father. If I need to research. And get better at something, I need to research and know my father more. Everything we apply one-to-one, we apply to the, the one flesh relationship that we're in. You see what happens, Paul is saying, husbands, love, you, love your spouses as, your, as, your, uh, as yourself, as your own self. And what tends to happen here is selfishness. I'm learning more and more in my life as I go on that every problem that arises really comes down to selfishness, self-centeredness. Some of the biggest problems I've had in my life were decisions based on little old me where I tried to make it better for myself and I failed to seek the direction of my father. And what happens in, this, in our marriages is we start to get tired and we start to get a little bit looking after number one because it's where we need to go. Oh, I want to I look after number one. My wife hasn't done this. My husband hasn't done that. I've cooked dinner four times this week. She hasn't cooked dinner once. I've mopped the floor five times. She hasn't mopped the floor once. I start looking at myself. I start evaluating my marriage through the lens of self-centeredness and selfishness. And what Paul is doing here, he's saying, husbands, you're to lead. But wives, you're to submit to the leadership of the husband. So everything that, that Paul continues to talk about husbands, he's speaking in a day where the man was the one who was spoken to. But wives are to lead in the same manner, to, sorry, wives are to, to follow in the same manner. If my husband does something, I'm seeing through Christ that's the direction that I'm supposed to go. But what tends to happen is selfishness starts to take place. We start to get a little bit self-centered. We start to look after number one. I started to look into this when I started realizing there were so many marriages falling apart. So many husbands and wives that had been in marriages for so long and they were, they were dead inside. The marriages were dead inside. It was pain and suffering at one of the most beautiful pictures God's given us of his love for the church and my heart started to hurt. And I went on a bit of a journey asking and we were getting ready to do some marriage counseling for a couple that were getting married. And I said to God, I, I can't counsel this couple if I don't know what's wrong, if I can't See, foresee the issue that's causing so many divorces. I can't prepare a couple for love if I don't know what it is. And I came across a very intelligent guy named Dr. Emerson Egrich. He's a PhD, he has a PhD in in ecology. He studies um, areas that things grow, right? And he had this thing called the crazy cycle. He wrote a book called Uh, Love and Respect, and he talks about a crazy cycle. And as I began to research the crazy cycle, I started to understand that's what Paul's talking about. It's right there in the Scriptures. In actual fact, which I'll show you in a minute, it's right there in Genesis when Adam prophesies over Eve. It's right there. But he starts talking about the crazy cycle, and he explains that typically men want respect and women want love. I think there's another book called Men Are From Venus and Women Are From Vars, Mars, something like that. Vase. Vase is not a place. Vase is not somewhere you go. It's where you put flowers. But it shows a different makeup between man and woman, right? And he explains that, that men typically want respect and women typically want love. And he explains this beautiful picture, and it made me laugh as I was reading it because I was like, man, yeah, that's so true. But he explains a husband and a wife sitting in a restaurant And he says, the husband and wife are sitting in this romantic dinner and this very pretty lady walks in. And the husband turns to the wife and he says, "Woo! get a look at her. She is gorgeous. Right? And the wife becomes terribly upset. Awful rest of the dinner, terribly awkward drive home, right? There's a wrestle at hand. You've upset me. You've hurt me at the highest degree. You have set your eyes on somebody else. You failed to love me. No, no, I was just saying she was good looking. No, no, no. You failed to love me in that moment. But if a, if a good looking guy walks in and the wife goes, Whoo! get a look at the arms on that guy. Us as men, we don't really care, right? We'll be like, yeah, he's huge. And hey, he must lift 250, right? Look at the guns on the fella. We have a joke. Why? Because we know you're coming home with me. You've got the ring on your finger. I drove you here. You're coming home with me. We're married. There's nothing you can do about it. We get excited that she's getting excited, right? Getting a little bit, of, little bit pepped up. But, but, if that same guy walks in with a Rolex watch on his wrist and a lady on his arm who's well-dressed and she says, Wow man, he really looks after her. He really cares for her. She gets everything she wants. The guys sink, right? There's this feeling of, I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate. Oh, I can't look after my wife like he does. I can't do the things that he clearly does. Right, we come away from that feeling broken because it's the respect that we want from our partners. And it's the love that our wives want from us. And what tends to happen then, and the reason he calls it the crazy cycle, is that we go home and instead of pressing into the moment, we pull away from the moment. So what happens is I feel unloved, right? I feel unrespected, that at the dinner my wife didn't respect me. So I don't love her when I get home. I don't make her the cup of tea that I normally do. I don't kiss her on the forehead goodnight. I don't tell her that I love her. And then she wakes up the next morning and she goes, gee, Ben's not loving me right now. I'm not going to respect him. I'm not going to tell him he's doing a good job. I'm not going to encourage him after he mowed the lawn. I'm not going to do anything because he's not loving me. So she goes a few days not showing any respect, and I start to pick that up. I start to realize. So what I do is I retreat even more. So now I stop loving her even further. To which then she stops giving me more respect and more respect and more love and more love and more respect and more respect until all of a sudden we're in a massive mess. And it started all the way back in one conversation. But we drew it and we drew it and we drew it and we drew it until there's nothing left to take. Until what we call what the, the guy who wrote the five languages calls the love tank is empty. i got nothing left to give you. You want respect from me? i got nothing left in the tank. You want love from me? i got nothing left in the tank. But see, the Bible tells us to come in the opposite spirit. The Bible tells us to stand against the things that are hurting me. So what's supposed to happen in that place is that when my, when my wife operates in her own selfishness or when I operate in my own selfishness and I don't show love to my wife or my wife doesn't show respect to me, my job to do is to press in and double down on my love. If I feel disrespected in my marriage, you know what I, I'm, I'm asking God to show me how to do? Lord, show me how to love her more. Let me work on my part. Show me how to love her more. And what my hope is, is that my wife, when she doesn't feel loved, would say, Father, show me how to respect her more. Show me how to come against this this pressure that's fighting against us. Why? Because all the enemy needs is a foothold and he will tear your relationships apart. And we are standing to say, Lord, let us not give that foothold. Teach me to love my wife like you did when I was a sinner, like you did when I was scoffing, when I was the one who was throwing you on the cross. You loved me regardless. Teach me to love my wife like that. When I'm feeling disrespected, teach me to say, Father, she knows not what she does. Let me love her. Why? Because that will break the cycle. That will break the cycle. Men respond to respect, while women respond to love. I have a little note here that says, men, don't get this confused with love making; They're very different things. It needs to be said. It needs to be tabled out there. They're very different things. But at the end of that verse, Paul says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Right there in the end of that verse in Ephesians, Paul says, husbands, let your wives see that you love them, and wives, let your husbands see that you respect them. The practical reality to this is that you've got to err on the side of kingdom every time. You've got to err on the side of kingdom every time. Husbands, if you come home and your wife's a stay-at-home mum with the kids and the house is a mess, don't walk in and make the first thing you say, Why is the house a mess? Right, You err on the side of kingdom and you operate from love. My love, how was your day today? It was terrible. What happened? Well, this happened and that happened and that happened. Okay, I'm starting to understand why the house is a mess. So now I start to love my wife. How can I help you? What can I do for you to help? Wives, when the husbands come home and they take their clothes off and they run a line of clothes to the door and they kick their boots off and they clump down on the couch... Don't come in and say, you didn't even say hello to me, right? Because you're erring on the side of the spirit that wants you to tear it apart. Come and say, thank you, right? This is a a romantic picture, right? But it's a challenge that we have to start to ask ourselves. That when my my wife comes home, when my wife comes home and she's worked, it's Thursday and she's already done 40 hours and she's exhausted. And my first words that come out of my mouth. Did you not get dinner? I'm not erring on the side of kingdom. I'm not erring on the side to say, Lord, help me love her. Right, but it's got to go both ways. There's got to be an understanding. We've got to start to fight for our husbands, to fight for our wives. And we've got to stop doing this. Well, I do it all the time. They never do it. I'm always the one fighting. I'm always the one praying. I'm always the one erring on the side of love or the side of respect. It's never them. We've perpetuated a victim culture in our society today. We love being the victim. We love being the victim. But God is saying, stand up. Fight for this. Fight for this. That she may see your love, that he may see your respect. If you've got a Bible with me, go to go to Genesis 2, 23 to 24. I think that's right. It sounds like it's too far down, but I think it's right, yeah. Katrina, can I have my special thing, please? I did a slide, everybody. Slides. Fancy. Kat had to fix it, but I did my best work to get it to a fixable place. Right, Kat? Thank you. Paul quotes this verse. You might have heard me talk about the meta narrative of Scripture before. The journey begins in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. Well, it dot, 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 ellipses in, generation, in uh, Revelations, right? God, what He designed for us, He gave to us in the beginning. He gave to us in the garden. And Paul, Paul uses this verse to say, remember, I gave you this. God gave us this in the very beginning. He gave it to Adam and He gave it to Eve. And he gives him this verse from, from uh, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, 23 to 24. He says this, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The interesting thing about this is that Adam was asleep. Adam's just woken up and he's had his rib removed and there's now a woman there. The first words that come out of his mouth, the first beautiful things that come out of his mouth is to prophesy over the thing that God had just given him. He doesn't whinge or whine. He doesn't complain or, Lord, really? He instantly takes what God gave him and he prophesies over it. Right, That verse in, in Ephesians, that says it there, but I... I skimmed it a little bit, but it talks about washing your partner with the Word. It says that Christ washes us with the Word. Read with your husband or your wife. Talk about scriptures with your husband or your wife. Come together around this. If we all here believe that the Bible really is an important, powerful document that reveals the, it's the words of God, then do you not want to sit down with that thing open and say, what is he saying to us as a couple? Where is he leading us? Where is he guiding us? Tess will come to me. Did you, have you seen this? Have you, have you read this? I'm like, I don't know. Let me see. Are right, we encouraged to talk about it. Do you actually, do you know what that's saying? And oftentimes I'm like, no. I think I know what it's saying to me. Right? We have to wash each other with the word. When she's struggling, I want to find a verse to prophesy over her, to give it over her. This is who she say, who God says that she is. We have to learn to start to do this. That's what Adam was doing. He started to prophesy over his wife. But it's interesting to me. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There were no fathers and mothers yet. Had right? he's prophesying, he's calling into existence. Had he spoken to God and God had sort of laid out some of what was going to take place, maybe. But he starts to call something forward. Do I just press next? Yes. Look at this. Hey. Eh? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When I was on a journey asking God to reveal things to to this couple that we were leading through marriage counselling, God showed me that there's so much in this verse and I want to speak through it now. He showed me that in the very beginning when he gave this to Adam and Eve, he said, therefore a man, man meaning maturity. Boys, we got to grow up. We got to grow up. We've got to clean our rooms. We've got to, if we stink, we've got to take showers. We've got to watch how we speak. Right, I'm being a little bit funny, but at the same time, we've got to learn this. There's too many boys trying to live like men. We've got to learn who we've called, been called to be. The importance of God calling us as his people is that he's made us to be something. And we've got to step into the boots that he's laid before us. I know I quote him a lot, but I I think as a psychologist, he does such a great job. Jordan Peterson speaks about the fact that as boys, we've got to learn how to fend for ourselves. Become the men God's asking us to be. Clean your room. Get a job. Brush your hair. All these things that we've seemed to have lost in our generation because we just get to be who we want to be and we just self-love, man. I just do what I want to do and the right girl will come and fit into who I am. No, because at the moment, who you are is not really who you're meant to be. You're a mess of what God's calling you into. Just let that, just let that hold for a second, Shawnee. <laughs> huh? Does that mean that, that for some of you single guys, I won't look at anyone, I'll look at one of the ladies. <laughs> Does that mean that some of you single guys, this is why I'm not there? No, maybe you've already done this. Because there is a timing issue as well. But definitely start with this. And you guys who are already married, continue to do this. Be men. Now what does that mean? I've got to cook a barbecue and be tough and play football? No, we have an understanding of what a man looks like. Read about him. Learn about him. Does, Does me going to my knees and crying make me not a man? Gee, I hope not. Because that happens a bit. But then I watched that movie, Saving Private Ryan, at the end when he meets the guy and he cries. That's what, I've, that's what I've linked it to. Right. But guys, we've got to grow up. Boys, we've got to become men. He then continues on and it says, they shall leave. They shall leave. There's a transitioning period between one family and another. This is a challenge for our, in our society today because what happens is, is that a lot of parents will put their identity in their children. And we create this unhealthy cycle of staying in my family's home. Parents, you've got to let go of your kids. You've got to let them grow up. You've got to let them come out from under your teaching and guidance and let them cling to another. I got to counsel a couple who weren't saved or non-Christians and there was a mess in their, in their relationship. And I heard clearly while I was talking to them, God said, ask the wife to leave her parents And I said, you need to leave your parents, forgetting that they don't know this verse. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, when there's a problem, you run to your parents, you don't run to your spouse. You've created your connection to be with your parents, not with him. When Jess and I first got married, I asked Jess if I could tell this story. When Jess and I first got married, Jess's dad is an incredible man. And we call him Can-Do Dave because he has a Can-Do attitude. He will get stuff done. If you need something, he will move mountains to get it done. And what happened was when we got married, when we started to have something we needed in our family, Jess would phone Ken do Dave. And it was a struggle for me because I said, babe, we we are knitting out our own family. We are carving a path for our own family. We have to learn to stand on our own two feet. Does that mean we can't ask him for help? No, we can ask him for help. But the first port of call for us to stand together is between you and I. And it was a challenge for Jess because she'd been under her father's leadership and guidance for so long that now I was asking her, would you come and join to me? You know why when you walk into a marriage, sorry, when you you walk down the aisle, for those of you who will do it one day, there's the question that gets asked, who gives this woman? Why? Because it's the declaration right there to say I am letting them come out from under me and I'm allowing them to hold fast to their spouse let go of your parents parents. let go of your children, encourage them if they come to you for advice, advise them, but always advise them back into their spouse, always advise them, you need to walk this out have you guys spoken about this, have you prayed about this, are you standing together on this go and talk to him so now when we go just as parents, which we do, we go together. Or if Jess says, how, I want to I chat with dad about this. Yes, awesome, both for it. Now, is that a, a control thing? No, it's us trying to navigate how do we walk forward as a couple and come out from the guidance and stand with our, our heavenly father. To his father and his mother, there is a model of complete family. This is something that is really, really being challenged at the moment. This is something that for a lot of us in this room didn't actually grow up with. I didn't grow up with this model. I didn't grow up with a a father and a mother. I had a father and a mother and I have a father and a mother but it was a weird joined, I have now had a father and a mother and a stepfather and a stepmother and stepbrothers and there was just all these intertwinings, and that's okay, I can learn to navigate through that but the reality is is that we are supposed to fight for our marriages because that's the model we got given in the beginning. That's the model we draw on. You know, one of the most difficult things for us to have to to understand, and and especially in the Christian world, is to say God the Father. Because people go, I never had a father. Or my father was a tyrant who who did things to me that I never should have had to face. But we go, that was never the pattern from the beginning. That's not what God planned. That's the broken model of the, the society that we live in. We now get the option, Jess and I get the option to redeem that model and pass it on to our kids. Who then get the option to redeem that model and pass it on to their kids and pass it on to their kids and pass it on to their kids and we get to break the model of divorce in my family. We have to learn as a people, God has given us a pattern because the next thing he says is to hold fast, to tightly believe. When Jess and I got married, we went to a wedding um, a few months beforehand. And at the ceremony, the lady who was a non-Christian, um, I don't know what you call it, ceremonious. What was it? Celebrant. What did I say? Ceremonious. Dave's taken it. Damon, don't come back in, mate, and look at my funny words. Right? You're a ceremonious and you'll be so ever known as. But she was a non-Christian, right? And she stood at the, the, the pulpit and she was doing the ceremony. And in it, she started, she spoke for about five minutes on divorce. And how bad it is and, you know, but, but don't worry, this is not going to be that. And Jess looked at me and she's like, right there, she said, can I make a pact with you? I said, yeah. She said, I don't ever want to talk about divorce in our marriage. And I went, yeah, I'm down for that. She said, I don't want to joke about it. I don't want to use it as a funny joke. I don't want to talk about it because I'm not going there. And right there, we decided in that moment that we weren't going to use that as an out. Now look, I understand there are, for me, and in the way that I understand at this current moment, there's two reasons for divorce. Right? If, the, if the marriage is terribly unhealthy and it can't be redeemed, if there's violence or if there's, some, or if there's a, a pain or a struggle, or if the covenant's been broken, right? If, if a spouse has slept with another spouse, with another person. And people get upset with that because they go, but Ben, there's so, you know, people can be so unhappy for so long. And I understand that. I understand how painful that can be. No, we will not walk this path. Jess's dad has said, I will fight till there's nothing left in me. Why? Because he realizes the beauty in the covenant of marriage. Right? Jess's dad explains the way he loves his, her, um, my mother-in-law, Jess's mom, is that I will love her with everything regardless. I will fight for this. And the world that we have today, the world that we've grown up in today, is that when the iPhone dies, just get a new one. If your job's crappy, just get a new one. If you don't like your house anymore, just get a new one. If your car decides that it's not good enough, just get a new one. So we've actually perpetuated and cultivated this society of let's just get a new one. And what we do now is we get into a hard time in a marriage and we go, I'm getting no no self-love. I'm not enjoying myself. I'm just going to get out. I'm just going to get out. But God, in the very beginning, he said, hold tight and believe. That when you come through the dark night of the storm, when you come through a time that's going to be hard and difficult, hold tight and believe that I'm coming through. Believe that I'm going to walk in that place with you. Believe and fight with all that you are. So from that moment, Jess and I decided we're going to fight. As hard as it gets, as deep as the mud gets, we'll fight for this. Because in the very beginning, God asked us, hold tight, hold tight. Believe in this and hold tight to your wife that I've given you, that I've complimented you. It's the side of you, Adam. I've given you half of of who you are to build and grow. Together you operate and you stand as a family unit. Dads, it's not the wife's job to raise the kids. It's not the wife's job to cook. It's not the wife's job to clean. It's not the wife's job to prepare the house. We're a team, we're a unit, we're a family unit. We're not co-parents, we're parents. What's the difference? One implies that we could maybe live together in the same household and one not be a parent and the other one be a parent. No, we are parents, plural. Together we raise these children. Together we build this house. Together we lead. Together we walk. What we've seen from, from days past is that there's this, Setting And and I've got to speak to so many non-Christians about this. And it, it, it baffles me the way that we take this position. But a lot of men will go, my job is to go to work. Earn the income and come home. So then who's building your house? Your wife's left with this incredible weight to build the house. Really? When it's your house along with hers? You're a unit? But I just bring the money in. No, your job... With your wife is to build your house. Your job with your spouse is to build your house. You stand shoulder by shoulder. You work shoulder by shoulder. Together we lead our kids. Together we grow our kids. Too often have we heard, oh, I don't know, that's, that's my wife's job. Oh, the kids, oh, no, that's my wife's job. Fix the fence, oh, that's my job. I'll fix the fence. Yeah, fix the fence but also be a part of guiding and leading the kids. Also be a part of talking through what does it look like for us to make the dinner? What does it look like for us to to clean the house? What does it look like for me to do the quote-unquote lady jobs that we've seen in this society? If my wife is tired and my house is a mess, I have an option to make. What do I do? I put the suds in the mop bucket and I grab the mop and I mop the floor because I want to serve my wife. The only reason I can stand here and say this is because God has challenged me in this. God has said, Ben, mop the floor. Cook the dinner. Love your wife. But if she's tired, work out why she's tired. So I've got to walk with Jess. Why? What's happening? What's going on? I'm too heavy at work. Cool, let's go back a day. So just drop the day. She works a nine-day fortnight in order to give her the time to rest and grow. How, how can I help you in this? Not do your jobs better. Right? I have to see how to love my wife. My wife has to see how to respect me. Is this making sense? We have to learn how to operate as a partnership. Because this is our house. This is our home. I operate with my wife. We're a team. We're a unit. We operate as such. P.S. I'm not, please don't hear me that I'm saying that we've got this all together. We don't have this all together. There's times where I don't do this. There's times where I'm so self-centered and so selfish. But we've got to learn how to do this. That's why the next one is so important because it says, They shall become. They shall become. This is a journey. This is a race we're on. We don't get there. You don't say the marriage vows and then all of a sudden your worldview instantly changes and you become, you know, Chris and Jade, this magnificent couple. You're welcome. Right, it's a journey. They shall become. They operate in this thing. Jess and I are learning and growing. It's why I love hearing couples that have been married 40, 50 years and just sitting and listening to them. Because it's this beauty in it, there's this, there's this sweet essence of it's not all it's not all swings and roundabouts. Right, there's some swords being swung, there's some mess being walked through. There's some stories in these scars, because we've taken a journey to become something in Him, but now we know who we are. And I love watching Jess's grandparents have been married for donkey's years, and when they're in their dining room table, it's just like a well-oiled machine. They just know their parts. They know what's happening. And all of a sudden, the, t- the table's set. The meat's cut. It's all like, because it's years and years of, we know how to do this. Right? That's your part. That's my part. That's how we operate as a team. And I've said to Jess, man, I, I can't wait till we're 90 and-, and we just get to learn how to roll through these things and people can look and go, oh, they-, they just know what to do. yeah, Because they learn over years and years of trial and error. They learned over years of walking together, crying with each other, reading the word together, asking God for patience, asking God for kindness, learning how to love, learning how to respect. It's a journey of years and years gone by to know, hey, don't do that, she won't like it. Oh, I don't know, she might. I know she won't. I've been there before. I oh, know she's not gone there. Right, learning, my, my, my partner, learning the thing. Because the last thing that we get to see is one flesh. They will become one flesh. Mere socks. One. One. That I may know my wife with a level of intimacy that the Father knows the Son. That I, am, I may know my partner with a level of intimacy that the Father knows the Son. That when she hurts, I hurt. When she rejoices, I rejoice. When she's tired, my home is tired. When she's excited, my home is excited. See, we've got to stop looking at it as if that's that's my wife and this is me. I'll do my part, you do your part, we'll get on together. No, we are one body. So guess what? If I've finished my parts and she's struggling with hers, I'll jump in and grab on. Let me help you with your parts. Why? Because it's my part as well. Well, to mop the floor, that's the woman's job. No, you're one flesh. It's your job. Get out the mop. Get out the broom. Go and discipline your children. Go and love your children. Go and hug your children. Don't be the only... Don't, dads, don't, don't allow the, the, the wife or the mum to be the only one that kisses their child on the head goodnight. Don't let the only don't allow your wife to be the only one who reads the story, be eager. These are our kids. This is our legacy. This is who God's given us. We've got to learn as a people why? Because this is the forefront of the community of a church. This is the design God has given us from the beginning. When this falls apart, this falls apart. When the marriages fall apart, the communities fall apart. And then we have no more communities. And guess what we look like? We look like the world. You want someone to come to Christ and be a part of a, of a teaching and a leading and a guiding. And they look at your life and they can't see, what's the point? You're in more if, You're in more mess than I'm in. I'm pretty good over here. We seem to be doing all right. I don't need what you've got. But when there's a sweet aroma... When there's a sweet aroma that burns from your marriage, when there's a sweet aroma that burns from your relationships, people will go, What is that? Dave Sri, what is that? What is that beautiful smell that's coming from your relationship? She just disrespected you, Dave, so poorly, and you loved her. What are you doing? See, the kingdom of God, I preached about this before, the kingdom of God is the right way up. Our worldly kingdom is upside down. I promise you, when you swallow your pride and you come in the opposite um, spirit, your marriage will change. Your life will change. Your kingdom kids will change. Because I refuse to allow your attitude and who you are to change who God's asked us, one flesh, to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to love you. And it pains me and it's hard and it's difficult. I have to go to God. For some of us, it's years of pain. For some of us, it's decades. But God is saying, I want more for you. I want more for you than you can ever understand. Trust me, flip the script. Turn it upside down and watch what I'll do. Let that pain, let that suffering go. Love the person I've given you. Respect the person I've given you. And I will change the outcome. God designed marriage in the garden. He gave it to mankind. He said, see this thing that I'm going to give you. See this communion that I'm going to give you. See this picture of beauty that I'm going to give you. I'm not going to ask you to do something I won't do because I'll show you by the way I love you. I'll model this in the way I treat you. We didn't deserve God to love us. We didn't deserve God to respect us. He didn't owe us anything. Yet he says, I'm going to come in the opposite spirit. I'm not going to operate in the crazy cycle. I'm going to break it right here and I'm going to show you what my love looks like. You're disrespecting me, the church, disrespecting Christ. And he says, There's only one way I can stop it burn them all in hell. No. That was a bit harsh, I apologize. (laughs) I just watched a video the other day and it just upset me, and I. It was for love. It was for love. He flipped the script. He said, you're operating in, in disrespect. I'm going to operate in love. And we try to theologize it a way we try to search the scriptures to say, well, we all have to this or that. No, he came because it was the only way he could break the brokenness. The only way he could remove the pain and the suffering was not to just take us all and, and, and beat everybody and make them pay for what they had done. He said, the only way is I'm going to love my people out of the mess But then he said, as I have done that to you, I want you to do that with the one I've given you. Love them out of their mess. Respect them out of their mess. Does that make sense? Why don't you stand? I just want to pray. If you have your loved one here, can you maybe just hold hands with them and hold the other hand up. If they're not here, it's all right. Just hold their hand in spirit. I like it, Sean. I like the faith. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Bless him, Lord. Bless him. Father, Lord, we thank you God, I thank you that you gave us a pattern that was ludicrous to our worldly understanding. Lord, it's backwards to the way we understand and see stuff. But you showed us how powerful it is. You showed us, Lord, that it works. You showed us, God, that your way is perfect. Even though it's completely upside down to the way we've seen it or known it, it's completely unusual. To you, it is normal. And it is the way you've designed it from the very beginning. Lord, I thank you that the Apostle Paul saw this so clearly from the teaching and guiding that that, uh, Adam gave to Eve. Lord, I thank you that he carried it on, that we now get to read and understand what you did in that garden. Lord, search our hearts. Search our hearts, God, to put down the things that aren't of you. Lord, I pray right here in Jesus' name, that the assault on marriages and on parenting, in the authority that you've given me as an elder in this house, be broken right now in Jesus' name. That right now, whatever chokehold the enemy has on our marriages, you let go now in Jesus' name. Through the power and authority he gave us on that cross, you loose right now. That, Lord, we declare life in marriages. Lord, we declare life in marriages, Jesus. Lord, I pray for Chris and Jade and for Maddie and Paula, Lord, that there be the beginning of something beautiful that's being birthed right here. Lord, there's a foundation and a platform for them to launch into the beautiful thing that you call marriage and covenant. That as they go through the trials and the troubles, Lord, may they do it with their eyes on you. And God, I pray for the singles here this morning, for those eager to be, to be uh, matched, Father, for those eager to be given. Lord, I pray a faith to hold tight to you in this time. Boldness for them to search their heart and to find the things that you want to adjust and change. But Lord, I ask for the patience and the courage and the wisdom to wait for the right person that you're calling through. In your name, Jesus, I break the discouragement. I break the pain and the suffering. And I break the, vic- the victimization right now in Jesus' name. May you be loosed. And may there be a joy and an excitement to search for the one in which he's sending you. And Father, I pray for those of us who stand in our covenant of marriage right now. The eldest of us to the youngest of us, Lord. May your hand be ever on our marriages. Lord, may we open our hearts, may we open our hands. May we search and remove the self-centeredness and the pride that's in our hearts. Lord, let us love our wives. Wives that us respect and honor our husbands. Lord. We trust you in our marriage. And Lord, we will stand and we will fight for the marriage that you designed so long ago. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We glorify your holy name. And in your name we pray. Amen. Before you go, please do not take this and tell your spouse that they must do what Ben said. (laughs) You go, and you look your heart, search, ask God, reveal, show me, and change. Amen.